good afternoon. Full house here. Welcome uh, to our first STEM talk of the semester. My name is Brian Kurth. I'm a math faculty member here. And uh, we're going to have our first STEM talk out of three this semester. Uh, STEM, as you may know, stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, and Mathematics. And our speaker today is Mr. Ben Leonard from Argonne National Laboratory. He is an HPC Systems and Database Administrator. Uh, he has two master's degrees, and he is now working on his PhD in Information and Computer Science at DePaul University. He will speak for about 45 minutes about their leadership computing facility, and there should be some time for questions and answers at the end. So without further ado, I uh, welcome Mr. Ben Leonard. So I'm, is this on? So I'm from Argonne, and today we're going to talk about briefly HPC systems and the impacts of science and technology. You might or might not know Argonne is about 10 minutes to the west of us right now, and um, I'm going to go over what we do there to try to inspire some of you to go into STEM. So my background, even though I don't have it on here, I attended Moraine from about 97 to 2000. I got my associates here about 18 years ago. Then I went on to DePaul and then I finally went back for my master's and completed that in 2009. For a number of years, I worked in the financial services industry, so likewise, I got an MBA. Since my departure from the financial services industry, I decided to go back and pursue a PhD at the Paul University just because you can never have enough education. So what is Argonne? Argonne is an area to the west of us that for several decades has been run by the University of Chicago, for the DOE where we strive to provide resource, research for this country to address scientific needs for our nation. Um, yeah, again, we have four user facilities. A user facility is a area where external users come to use our equipment to research various topics. We have the APS, which is the Advanced Photon Source, which some of you may have seen a giant ring on Argonne's pictures at the APS. We also have the Center for nanoscale materials and technology, a linear accelerator for physics, and the leadership 
computing facility, which is what I belong to. So what is the Argon Leadership Facility? The Argon Leadership Facility houses um, supercomputers to provide users the resources needed necessary to pursue the scientific challenges that they need. We have in-house experts to optimize and maximize their code so that they could scale in our systems that are much larger than your average desktop or supercomputer. Um, we have a number of users within the community, various academic industry and other individuals that we work with to try to provide the resources for. In terms of in-house expertise, a lot of these people that come to us are either in the physics world or chemistry or even engineering. While they might be an expert in their domain, they need help to optimize and performance tune their code so that it runs on a supercomputer of such scale. Oh, you know, it's just a, you know, they are an expert in their domain, whereas we are experts in the computing domain of their makes sense. So our supercomputers in this data is 10 to 100 times more powerful than typical systems out there. Uh, there is a website called the top500.org. We have computers in the top 10 or top 15. It gets updated every six months or so. But if you go to top500.org, you'll see Argonne and Oak Ridge and Livermore in the top tier as, as well as other countries as well. So in terms of the computers, we have three production supercomputers. Mira, which was installed in 2012 or so, made by IBM. It has about 786 terabytes of RAM. So your average desktop has maybe four or eight or even 16 gigs of RAM. We have, you know, how many thousands times that? And in terms of cores, it has about three-fourths of a million cores. And if you think about it, your, your iPhone or Android only has two cores, and this laptop 
Uh, I sat in his meeting for eight quarters, whereas this has three-fourths of a million cores. Now, cooling is significantly smaller, but we use it for a visualization cluster. So a lot of times, scientists or like chemists or physics will take the data and need to visualize it, like the blood flow through arteries or the wind dynamics of our uh, airplane wing. We use cooling, which has NVIDIA GPUs to generate the graphics. Now the latest supercomputer, which is almost the same speed as Mira and Theta, which has only 36, uh, 3,600 nodes and 231,000 cores, but it is a x86 system, which is very similar to your laptops. The only difference is the size in terms of uh, processing power and memory is thousands of times bigger. So I'm not going to read this whole slide, but this shows our growth over the, over the last 10 years and how we've grown in the number of hours requested in, over time. And this part shows the various um, research we've been doing in terms of nanoscale stuff and other simulations. So what is a supercomputer used for? You, as you've seen so far, you know, it has a lot of computing resources, but what's the need for it? The need is for modeling. The need for simulations and whatnot. When I was getting my MBA, I got it from Northern Illinois University, and they work, work a lot with Caterpillar. One of the key things that Caterpillar does is build prototypes. Well, if you have to build a hundred prototypes, It'll cost. It'll cost to build the prototypes. It'll cost for the people hours, the tool and the labor. If you can simulate this in a computer, you drastically reduce your cost and drastically reduce your time to market. So other simulations that have been run on Mira is the jet exhaust noise out of a jet engine and how it makes the noise less. Going back to my example earlier, yeah, you could create a hundred different engines, 
But it's going to take you a long time. If you could prototype it and simulate it within a computer, your time to market is realistically worse. On the flip side of things, there's a big thing of data science and data simulations, analyzing the data we already have, whether it's health data or trying to understand the blood flow through the human body. So, what problem do researchers solve? Um, you know, like I've been saying, it's everything and everything around us. Even though I do IT, the whole point of LCF and why I try to make it generalized is we have specialists, whether it's nuclear engineering, chemistry, physics, biology, that work with the domain experts to try to port their code to our system. At the end of the day, we try to, you know, explain the universe and how life works and ultimately make things better for everybody else. Another example is biological systems, you know, whether it's modeling the synapses in the human brain or, or drug therapies. You know, a lot of this you just can't build a human brain. So the next big thing is the simulator. And I don't remember how many neurons there are in the human brain, but you need a system of this size to create the simulation and have it complete in a timely manner. The next, this slide is a example of something that ran on our system that you could report. It's up, but it's looking at protein structures. Um, and I'm sure Brian will make this available somehow to you guys. You know, another use of our system is trying to understand the universe and how the Big Bang Theory happened and where all this dark matter is um, like I said earlier, is another simulation of large sky of a surface. So for the last couple of years, there's been a big push for renewable energy. Some of the people on our system. Uh, study wind turbines and how to make wind turbines more efficient um, as it's a renewable energy. Um, and these are just subsets of what we do. Um, later in the slide, there's a 
total number of different projects we run. Another example is forecasting. Right now, um, you know, when you see a 10-day forecast, it's often wrong. It's often wrong a day ahead of time. So, you know, the problem is you need a very large supercomputer to calculate the forecast and the various terrain that, that interfere or cause the wind pattern to change with all the forecast. Um, on a different front, we help with engineering in our R&D. Um, this picture, I don't think it says, but it's a nozzle of a jet engine, I believe, of the exhaust coming out. But don't quote me on that. Um, I'm just going to skip through. Here's another project that runs with the, um, you know, lift off of a jet wing. You guys could read the thing room. So, how do researchers get access to such a powerful supercomputer? Well, like many, many parts of academia, they all have to do a grant. Researchers apply for, for various awards, and I can explain what this means so that they can run on the supercomputer. Um, as you can see, most of our time is dedicated to something called insights, which I will be going over later, the smallest. Something called DD, which means Director Discretionary, and lastly, ALCC. So, Director Discretionary, I think we have the Director at LCF grants a resource allocation to a research party so that they can for whatever research topic they apply for. A lot of it is something that doesn't fit in the entire ALTP, but the director sees a potential. Like I, did, like I said a minute ago, it's almost like a first step or a proof of concept. Usually this is a three or six month grant for time, which is renewable. Out of the total number of core hours we have available, only 10% goes to DD time. The two major categories are Insight and ALPC, which consume about 90% of the system time. Insight stands for Innovative 
and now will come. Come be tasted in bed. I'm serious. The awards are usually one to three years um, given out. They accomplish 60% of the time. A lot of this time is dedicated to academia and industry and our large research projects. Um, now the other category down here, ALCC, is only 30% of our time, and that time is dedicated to exploring DOE's energy mission, such as, you know, the wind turbine that I talked about a few minutes back, or improving the, the jet engine performance or the, or the lift under the wings. It all ties back to energy and less energy. Now, in addition to that, there are two more categories which have to do with future research, such as data science. If any of you have taken IT classes at Marine, heard the phrase big data or data science or something to that degree. And that is basically looking at all the stuff. For a number of years, we would go around collecting all the stuff, but no one really put it to use, such as in medicine and trying to correlate things better. The last quarter category is ESP, which is early science, and that's basically used for getting code ready for new systems and new technologies. Um, I often tell kids that, you know, you might think that you get a degree and it just stops there. But no technology keeps changing. The life keeps changing. So you need to be adaptive and, and relearn and retool for the future. And to their effect, that is what ESP provides. So, how does all this benefit our nation? You know, all of this contributes to science. It provides economic benefits, and it also provides education. A lot of these problems that run on these computers cannot run on a normal server. Or if it did, it would take 20 years to complete. And I mean 20 years non-stop, whereas something of that size might only take one hour to complete on, on Mira. In terms of contributions 
time, what we do is try to help people understand what the universe is what, and how to make it better. In this picture, you can see you can see the TV screens to the left, and that is after a scientist ran something they need to visualize the output. Um, we have a lot of times where, for example, the blood flow in the body, you know, you have the data, but you need to visualize what's going on so that you can make sense of it. In terms of economic benefits, you know, like I said earlier with capitalism, whether it's improving fuel economy or improving, you know, time to market, there is a definite economic impact to this because such companies like GE or Caterpillar or Rolls-Royce don't have the type of resources ready, ready for available to them to provide these experimentations. Not to mention they don't have the expertise in-house to take advantage of that. Um, this picture, for example, is the inside of a Pratt and Whitney jet engine that we helped them create simulations to help them improve performance in the jet engine. In terms of outreach, you know, we have a lot of, of internships and postdoctorate positions available where students come and learn new technology and learn HPC. So one thing I, I did want to talk about is um, Whenever you do pick a career, pick a job, um, pick something you enjoy because you're going to end up doing it for 40 to 50 hours a week. You know, um, I, I've seen a lot of students come and go and they pick something and they don't like it and they end up going into it and they regret it. And I have seen other students pick something and they love it and it was the best thing that ever happened. Um, do you guys have any questions that kind of flew through this? Sorry. Any questions?
What made you interested in like computer science and all that whole area? Is it on? Yeah, our question was how did you get interested in computer science? I've always been interested in computer science and I guess So that's a longer answer than I get the two parts of it. So I've always been into IT, but there's also the part of working here that makes you wonder why things work. Like if you go to a normal corporate job, you do your job and that's it. Whereas here, you actually try to help humanity. You try to understand why things work. You, you, um, you, you fulfill a need for something. It's not just a paycheck, if that makes sense. Who's next? Any other questions? What is a typical work day for a computer scientist? Uh, the question was, what's a typical work day for a computer scientist? Um, there is no typical work day. I, I, I mean, it's, you know, like any job. You know, very little professional jobs are day in, day out like a factory. You know, professional jobs is more reacting to the needs of what's around you and uh, making widgets on the assembly line. Was there a question over here? What are uh, some like specific innovations that like came out of Argon uh, Lab? Uh, in terms of ALCF or Argon in general? Uh, well, you could go to Argon site, but the last big one was the oil sponge. I think it was in the press a year ago for soaking up oil spills. I mean, in terms of Argon and OCS, there is a list of resources where we've been cited in contributions we've made to various things. Um, in terms of LCF, you know, you got the jet engines, you got a brain simulation. If you go to the site, which I'm not sure. Anyway, if you go to the site, you can see a list of all the different projects that we're currently running on the system. I don't know if that helps you. Any other questions? You said you go into the realm of trying to understand a bit more about the universe. Yeah. Uh, are you familiar with Michio Kaku and string theory? Yeah. What are your thoughts um, on computing 
multiverses? Do you think that's something within the realm of the supercomputers that you guys have? Um, I don't know if we run anything for string theory. I know there's a lot of people that run high energy physics. We have hundreds and hundreds of projects. So if someone might be running string theory, uh, modeling, I just don't know off the top of my head. How many prototypes or simulations do you have to run until you find your ideal solution? It depends. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, and if you want to NBA, the answer to everything is it depends. <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, it depends on the situation. There is no answer, there is no magic formula, you know. And it depends on the problem, whether it's engineering or physics or chemistry, I mean. There's no silver bullet for that. Any more questions? You mentioned the areas of the three things that prioritize what goes into the yeah. system and what yeah. runs. So do you, is, the, is the, the priority to run the systems 24 hours a day nonstop, or is it just to make sure that every task has its chance to run out to its completion? So there's two, there's two or three parts of this. So yes, Mira and Thea, Run 24 by 7, 365. We're only there maybe 7 to 7. But keep in mind the researchers and collaborators are all over the world. They're not just in Illinois, they're not in the United States, they're all over the world. In terms of running to the and they're running how often a lot of times um, projects are run for let's say two hours and nine hours and they checkpoint and they get a signal that says hey you got five more minutes you better checkpoint because your time is up or coming due because otherwise you might have one project using the whole system for two weeks straight. So you kind of have to balance out the resources somehow so everybody gets a fair turn. Any more questions? Um, are there any internship opportunities at the computing facilities? Yes, there's always internship opportunities. I think they, for the summer that is, and they start posting them around, I want to say February. So if you go back to the website, 
this website. It should be a career job link. I forgot what it's at the top right. But yeah, it'll be posted. Any other questions? Let's give a big round of applause to Ben. <laughs> and we'd like to invite you, invite you back next week for our next STEM talk. It'll be Thursday, one week from tomorrow at 1230. We'll have a lecture about 3D printing.